It's Friday, November 5th, and you've got Oz in your ears. It's the best of the best. It doesn't get any better. I just read that the top 74 wage earners in this country made as much in 2009 as the 19 million lowest paid American workers. Why don't we start our own Tea Party around that? These are Tea Party times. Boston was occupied by the British. We're occupied by corporate America and the super rich. England occupied America to protect a major market. Corporate America occupies this country to protect the market it rigged for the last 75 years. What's today's metaphor for the bales of tea that the Mohawks threw into the bay in 1773? How about the corporate American lifestyle? Can we dress up like capable human beings instead of post-apocalyptic plague dandies, walk over to the brink, and toss that corrupt and unsustainable lifestyle overboard? Say yes to that, and we can meet up on Bunker Hill. Okay, it's election day, Dave. What sort of election has it been? Well, from let's take one particular perspective. After rating hundreds of claims in this election, um, TV ads, debates, interviews, mailing, stuff like that, there's this the organization called PolitiFact, and it gives an overall truthometer. Rating. Oh, I like that. The truthometer rating for this entire midterm campaign yeah. is... Barely true. Barely oh, true. Oh, yeah, that's bad news. I mean, you can say... That's like... Okay, qu- oh, no, I don't even know. That's like one, wait, two, three, four, five, one. I mean, it's just nothing. <laughs> Barely true. It's like a D. Barely it really true. Is. Barely it's true. Like a, Barely yeah. passing. In a majority of claims, they say, we and our eight state partners checked this fall, um, found a grain of truth, but it was exaggerated, twisted, or distorted in most of the ads. We define barely true as a statement containing some element of truth, but it ignores critical facts that would give a different impression. So it's got a, a soupçon of truth, but then it's twisted, distorted, yes. salted, strained. It's fast food made out of... Uh, At an angle. Yeah. To see how the truth got squeezed, just compare our historical averages with our numbers since... This is just since September 1st, when the campaign kicked into high gear. Over the 33-year history of this thing called PolitiFact, we, they say, we've occasionally used the same methodology to choose uh, facts to check. We pick claims that uh, we believe voters are curious about. If we think a voter would say, is that true? Then we'll fact check it. Using that approach, true ratings have steadily accounted for 20% of our 2,500 truth-a-meter rulings, true ratings. But since September 1st, that's gone down from 20% to 10%. 10% true. Yeah. As the true ratings hmm. have declined, we've seen an increase in barely true from 15% to 21%, as well as an increase in false pants on fire. <laughs> Ratings, liar, liar, from 28% to 34%. One out of every three ads out there is lying. Just plain liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, is it, That's the high end of the truthometer, is oh, it? Oh, uh, yeah, that's where it starts to smoke, all right? All right. The numbers illustrate what our fact checkers see every day. The claims often begin with a kernel of truth, but the campaign stretch it, twist it, and sometimes blow it up. Take a spin through our barely true items, and you'll see some examples. I'm just doing a couple of those. Okay. Republican Christine O'Donnell, the witch, right, who did the dirty on the bloodstained altar, right. claimed that Chris Coons, her Democratic opponent for Delaware's U.S. Senate seat, thought a 9-11 call should be taxed. 
But we found that was a big stretch because landline telephones have long taxed, been taxed to support 9-11 service. What Coons did was extend the tax to cell phones because of a sharp increase in their use for 9-11 calls. All right? Uh-huh. So she's just trying to scare people. Yeah. Yeah. You'd yeah, yeah, think yeah. that it's not enough to say, you know, I don't agree with the fact that, that cell phones should also be charged for 9-11 calls. That's a point, you know, but it doesn't scare people. All right. In California, Senator Barbara Boxer claimed that Republican challenger Carly Fiorina's plan would mean slashing Social Security and Medicare. But we found there was sketchy evidence to support that. Fiorina hadn't said much about her ideas on Social Security and Medicare. And what she had <laughs> said didn't any. provide proof of slashing. Right. She, you know, like most of them said nothing. All right. Lately, a growing number of claims haven't even risen to the level of barely true. In the past two weeks, we've seen a surge of statements so wrong that they've earned false and pants on fire. Here's two of them. In Wisconsin, Republican Reed Ribble, right off the bat. Reed Ribble. Do you want want to be represented in Congress by a guy named Reed Ribble? That's Rep. Reed Ribble. Rep. Reed Ribble. Ribble. Well, Rep. Reed Ribble earned a pants on fire for claiming, I lost my health insurance and doctor because of Obamacare. But his insurance company actually decided to get out of the health insurance business years ago. Okay. During an appearance on The Daily Show, Representative Eric Cantor, he's the, the number two guy right under Boehmer, you know, the one that also put Lot down because Cantor is Jewish and Lot's wearing the SS thing. The number two House Republican claimed that in the past two years, Democrats spent more money than this country has spent in the past 200 years combined. We sliced the numbers many different ways, but found the claim ridiculously fault and false and rated it. Pants on fire. Pants on fire. Okay. More muddy in the lamp. Yeah. I mean, in in a debate for the West Virginia Senate seat, Republican John Race, I think it's Race, R-A-E-S-E, claimed that under the new health care law, patients must first meet with a bureaucrat. We found that was another ridiculous (laughs) falsehood about the health care law. There, you know, that's it, man. Things are, and they say the elections today, it isn't going to get any more truthful. And that's not a lie. What's that all about? What's it all about, Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Smith from Anytown, USA? Okay, this is from Newsweek, and it's about forcing the Tea Party to do the math. Mike Lee, the Tea Party-backed Senate hopeful from Utah, told a crowd of supporters last week that congressional Republicans want to slash federal spending by 40% next year without cutting the sacred cows of Social Security and defense, Right. Those are the the fact that defense, the what we mean by defense now, and what defense is really spending, and what we're getting for it—that it should be a sacred cow. We should be eating that cow. We should be having that cow for dinner. Tea Party candidates love to talk about fiscal austerity. They say that President Obama has been on a dangerous spending binge and that only they have the fortitude and courage to stop him. But they rarely get specific about how exactly they intend to balance the budget. Thankfully, Lee now has. The only problem? His specifics are bonkers. The numbers speak for themselves. President Obama's Proposed budget for fiscal 2011, which Congress has yet to approve, totals $3.83 trillion and allows for a deficit of $1.267 trillion. To balance the budget exclusively by cutting spending, as opposed to raising revenue, Congress would have to trim federal outlays by 33% overall. That alone sounds extreme. In Britain, David Cameron's proposed cuts of 20% are expected to cost the country an estimated 500,000 jobs. 
But Lee's plan goes way, way further. Instead of simply slashing spending, Lee and his compadres want to extend the Bush tax cuts for everyone earning more than $250,000 a year, leave Social Security and defense untouched, right? This makes balancing the budget much more difficult. Let's tackle the revenue side of the equation first. Under Obama's 2011 budget, the Bush tax cuts would expire for the more than $250,000 crowd, a move that would produce an estimated boost of up to $402 billion in revenue. By extending the Bush cuts, however, Lee and company would forego that extra revenue, meaning they'd start out with a $402 billion less spending money than Obama and a deficit of $1.669 trillion. Closing this bigger budget gap would require a bigger overall spending cut, 44% to be exact, hence Lee's estimate of 40%. But here's the rub. By taking defense and Social Security off the table, Lee and company would be required to carve that 44% out of a much smaller slice of the pie and therefore make much larger cuts to the programs that would be affected. The math is simple and bleak. In Obama's budget, Social Security cost about $787 billion. Defense cost $928 billion. Debt payments, $250 billion. Together, they total about $2 trillion. If you remove that $2 trillion from the equation, as Lee suggests, you're left with $1.8 trillion in spending to work with. At this point, balancing the budget, wringing $1.6, $1.7 trillion in savings out of the last $1.8 or $9 trillion would require slashing every government program that's not defense or social security, Medicaid, Medicare, Veterans Affairs, Education, by 89.6%. Tea partiers eat it up when candidates like Lee say, let's shrink the government by 40%. But this is what he's actually proposing, even if he's now hedging under pressure. The Tea Party is right. We need to have a conversation about debt, deficits, and government spending. But it has to take place in the real world, a place where entitlement reform, defense cuts, and yes, tax increases are all viable options and not in fantasy land. It's simply not possible to slash enough spending to balance the budget while simultaneously cutting taxes and maintaining our current expenditures on entitlements and defense. Voters shouldn't take Mike Lee and his ilk seriously until they stop pretending. And I wonder when that will be. It's big, it's brown, and it's really, really good. And no, it's not chocolate, although it is at the same time. Um, yeah, I have a muffin. From Politico. Tea Party-backed outsider candidates became the superstars of the midterm elections, drawing national attention after big Republican Senate primary wins and leading Tea Partiers to pour millions into those campaigns seeking credibility. But on November 2nd, the Tea Party itself could get a mixed return on those investments. On Election Day, several candidates stamped with a Tea Party seal of approval will either be locked in statistical ties with their Democratic opponents or sinking in the polls despite well-funded war chests and endorsements from influential conservatives like former Alaska Governor Sarah the Quitter Palin and Senator Jim the Ayatollah DeMint. In several cases, the candidate's staunchly conservative views, thin political credentials, and lack of campaign experience, the same assets that helped them upset the GOP status quo, have become liabilities in the general election. 
That shift has allowed Democrats to remain competitive in a down election year and could help them retain control of the Senate. It has also forced Republicans to make tough decisions about where to allocate its resources, and it could blunt the Tea Party's much-anticipated impact when the Senate reconvenes in January. The marquee race is in Nevada, where Tea Party favorite Sharon Angle is struggling to unseat Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, even though Angle raised $14 million in the third quarter alone, and Reid's unfavorable rating languishes at 53%. But Angle's difficulties in Nevada mirror other big-name Tea Party-supported Republican Senate nominees. Joe Miller in Alaska, Rand Paul in Kentucky, Colorado's Ken Buck and Delaware's Christine O'Donnell, who is running for Vice President Joe Biden's old seat. In Nevada, almost every public poll taken this month has given Angle a narrow lead over Reid, with the most recent survey showing her with a 2 to 3 per percentage point advantage, a statistical dead heat. Angle had been leading Reid, but a gaff-ridden summer, she suggested disqualified conservatives might use Second Amendment remedies and argued that the Constitution doesn't explicitly separate church and state, led some Republicans to question whether she was ready for prime time. And the candidate herself all but disappeared from the campaign trail for several weeks to retool. In Alaska, Miller vanquished incumbent Lisa Murkowski in the GOP Senate primary with help from the Tea Party Express, which poured about 600000 into the race, a fortune in a state like Alaska. Miller, a political novice, held an early double-digit lead over unknown Democrats Scott McAdams and Murkowski, who refused to close ranks behind Miller and is running a write-in campaign. But Miller has stumbled badly, tripped by questions about his employment history, conflicts between his public statements and personal experience on unemployment and public health care, and his decision not to talk to the press. It didn't help when his private bodyguards detained and handcuffed a reporter at a campaign appearance, making headlines and further eroding his lead. Polls now show Miller and Murkowski in a virtual tie, with the McAdams a close third. Update, he is now losing to Murkowski. In Kentucky, Paul, a successful eye surgeon, came from behind to defeat Trey Grayson, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's hand-picked candidate to succeed retiring Republican Senator Jim Bunning, who was a great pitcher and an awful senator. And to win the GOP Senate primary last May with big Tea Party support and a key endorsement from DeMint, who has become a conservative kingmaker. Almost six months later, however, Paul is struggling to break away from his underdog Democratic nominee Jack Conway, even though Kentucky hasn't sent a Democrat to the Senate in more than a decade. Heartened by the neck-and-neck -neck race, caused in part by Paul's controversial statements on the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and his accidents happen stance on the BP oil spill, the Democratic Party has dumped millions into Conway's campaign looking for a stunning upset. Colorado GOP Senate nominee Buck followed the same path as Miller, Angle, and Paul to win the Republican Senate nomination. He ran further to the right, won over the Tea Party, and came from obscurity to upend Jane Norton, an establishment Republican candidate who raised about $2 million more than he did. Buck promptly opened up an early eight-point lead against Michael Bennett, the incumbent Democrat with close ties to the White House. But that advantage has largely evaporated, and recent polls indicate the race is statistically even. Democrats have hammered Buck as an extremist for some of the far-right positions he took to outflank Norton, such as his belief that global warming is a hoax and an anti-abortion stance that doesn't include rape or incest as exceptions. Despite headaches in Colorado, Nevada, Kentucky, and Alaska, however, the only Tea Party-backed candidate who is all but 
out of the running is O'Donnell, who rode the anti-establishment wave to swamp moderate Republican Representative Mike Castle to run for the seat Biden held for more than 30 years. Her surprising win was viewed as a measure of Tea Party strength, and she quickly won the endorsement of Palin, perhaps the movement's most influential member. And that says a lot for the movement if their most influential member is Sarah Palin. Youthful and telegenic, O'Donnell quickly snagged the national spotlight, but her campaign, which drew millions from Tea Party members nationwide, nevertheless struggled under the weight of her personal baggage. Her star faded amid reports of unpaid student loans, question about her income and education, her admission that she dabbled in witchcraft as a young adult, and a biting caricature of her on Saturday Night Live. The latest polls show O'Donnell trailing Democrat Chris Coons by about 20 points. And some pundits say her campaign could have cost Republicans the seat they needed to control the Senate. I took a look at the video of Coons and, and O'Donnell um, debating recently at a law school. It was the one where she said, hey, there's not, where in the Constitution do they separate church and state? And Coons, in a very lawyer-like way, the guy is a super nerd. I think I like him a lot. I think that Coons is, is going to become a light in the Democratic Party. He's not like charismatic, but he's very bright and he's very straightforward and he's very bald. In any case, he said to her, yeah, the First Amendment. She went, oh, like really? She was gobsmacked. So, hey, Tea Party. Hey, bag it. I didn't vote for Obama. Um, basically because I couldn't figure out what his agenda was. He wanted to scream, change, 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 change what? Uh, yeah, Dave, this came in as a comment from Wild Horse, one of the people that, that's pretty regular on Oz, and it, it was in relationship to the blog I just put up called uh, Your Ticket to Bunker Hill, which, uh -huh. is, which is actually real near the top of this show, so people know what I'm talking about. And he was talking about the fact that we've bailed out all these people, all these criminals, and that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce should be called the Chamber of Job Outsourcing. You know, it just really, he catches it, right? But the thing he really gets into is, he gives us a quote from Bill Moyers at the 40th anniversary of a Common Cause event. Okay, this is Bill Moyers, for whom I have great respect and who has seen it all and has a mind that, you know, I quite love. Here's what he said. It's heartbreaking. All bets are off. We have reached a parting of the ways and we're choosing the wrong path. The great American experiment in creating a different future together has come down to the worship of individual cunning in the pursuit of wealth and power with both of our political parties cravenly subservient to big money. As a journalist, I can tell you what you know. A profound sense of betrayal and loss pervades the country between the coasts, even despair, even loss of hope in the future. Despair. Mm. Yeah, it's true. They feel, people feel betrayed. I think some of it, really, you know, we have to we have to figure out that in many ways we we are are agents of self betrayal too. Well, living, how, you know, living yeah. that bubble lifestyle is not something that you had to do. No, and there are a few people who didn't, but there yes, so <laughs> there aren't very many of them. No, most of them are you hippies know, living no, in the forest. Uh, yes. yes, well, that that was an option, but I think during the nineties, even the hippies came out and decided, well, listen, we can become, we can grow, have wine, or we can learn how to make chocolates, or you know, got into the boutique society. Right. There, now, and and that's I think 
not counted in the great where are the manufacturing jobs of yore for Detroit and Michigan and you know and all those places you know in the middle of the country that made things where people came from foreign countries and they emigrated and they made things. And, yeah, send me your tired and you're poor and, and we'll make cars. Exactly. And it was important that they do that and that there were these huge workforces and that they did employ. And wasn't there a reasonable amount of respect for those guys who worked in GM and Ford Motor and all that? There was until color TV, until the world that everybody watched didn't have them in it. Oh. They had Life of Riley on black and white TV, and they had the Honeymooners, where people worked in sewers and drove uh-huh. and drove buses and all of that. But once you got to color TV and Father Knows Best and no no discernible means of income, everybody started dreaming a new American dream, and at that new American dream has come a cropper. That's the one. That's, that's the one. That's the one. But in the meantime, you know, the hippies who, so-called, you know, discovered this kind of um, boutique lifestyle. Yes. So that there are there, you can go to any town in the country and find and buy an expensive quilt. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's chocolate made everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, coffee, and, and coffee, coffee, and jams, and such. But of course, that, that isn't enough to to really push the GMP back to the old American, totally available, everything you want all the time. You know, style. it has nothing to do with house construction, no, which is slightly off. And you know, houses until the bubble would appreciate a percent a year usually. That that was average, 2% sometimes in a good time. So people weren't flipping houses. They were living in them, you know? So I, what Moyers is talking about, this whole sense of betrayal, and, yeah. and he said, we've given everything over to the cunning making of money, not just the making of money, not just someone with a, that, that invents or builds really a business that hires people and treats them with respect. We're talking about, we're talking about people that build programs to do snappy, um, you know, millisecond trades on the market. And, um, cunning is the right is the right word. Uh, on the plane coming uh, back uh, home from Los Angeles, uh, they were no, actually, it was flying down. The stewardess is that what they're called these days? Yeah, uh, was going down the plane uh, selling Alaska cards. You know, saying we fill out a form for an Alaska card, and it was too noisy. And I was by the window, and it was a three row thing, but. The whole issue here was, lady, it says Alaska. There's a picture of the Alaska thing. I don't know what your connection with the airlines is other than a job, but this is a Bank America, Bank of America card. You are walking down my aisle shilling the Bank of America. Surely you do not want to burn in hell. Think this over. I mean, you know, it was terrifying. Yeah, well, you know, know, they used to give you cigarettes. Now they give you credit cards. That's where it's come. (laughs) Anywhere. If Bill Moyers' Uh, heart is broken, if Bill Moyers feels despair, you know, there's something. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sorry to, you know, go go toward the levity of the situation, which is, I guess, in one way what we're here to do. But it is it is a uh, the cunning. That's a more powerful word than despair or. Malaise, as Jimmy Carter said once, there's a malaise going on. He never the actually country. said it, which is interesting. Is that right? Yeah, uh, well, it. whatever. But, but never had that rap. But he got stuck with either. it. He took the rap. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so uh, 
it's it's not just sorrow it's not just disappointment it's disillusionment is that is that betrayal betrayal it is the word betrayal yeah. so what do you do then you, you 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 pick yourself up i mean we've all been there in our own ways the country hasn't been that there well That's wild horse has a good good a good he's... quote on this david to, okay, to, to wrap it up it's go. from it's from Ambor, ambrose bierce's devil's dictionary and it is mm-hmm. another fidelity being a virtue peculiar to those who are about to be betrayed
This is my latest blog up on Radio Free Oz. I invite you all to go up and take a look. It's called Game Day for America. Republican control of the House will do nothing but exacerbate the economic crisis that's engulfing us. The House GOP leadership, if you can in your wildest dreams, call John Boehner a leader, comes to power with a plan to do little more than relentlessly investigate and harass the Obama administration, dismantle health care, extend tax cuts for the super rich, and deregulate corporate America. This reactionary crusade isn't the carefully thought-out program of a Republican brain trust. Those know-nothings are suspicious of anyone with a brain and have done nothing to earn our trust. If there is a mind behind what is now called the GOP, it resides inches above the jowly puss of Karl Rove. I've got a little picture of him there. You are looking into the face of the new Rasputin, the most powerful politician on the right, and he has no politics. He doesn't give a fig about abortion on demand, school prayer, gay marriage, or Obama's birth certificate. And he has nothing but contempt for those who do. He is interested in power, nothing more. He had power over George W. Bush and this nation once and has returned to take that power back as the ruthless frontman for the financial and corporate elite. He and everyone he represents stand in the way of an equitable recovery for all Americans. Know your enemy and know the power that energizes this moral zombie. It is the ultra-muddied class that dictate to our corporations, rig our financial markets, and buy every politician up for sale. The election is over and the game has begun. They're the rich school with all the fancy equipment. Their mascot is Karl Rove, a pig in a jacket. We're the poor school and we're playing them on their anything-but-level playing field. Our mascot is Barack Obama, a mensch in a pickle. Let's go out and cream their asses and take back our country, the trophy they've been holding hostage. Uh, I did a story a little earlier on the show, Dave, about uh, Tea Party economics, about the fact that they're claiming they want to cut 40% of the government and what it would take to do it. You know, if you don't include Social Security and defense, which they don't, you end up taking out probably 90% of all the money from all government programs. Let's see, 90%. We're going to have to do with a lot less around here. We're going to get a lot less. Okay, so now then there's the other side of the uh, Tea Party and all those people. All the talk about returning to the Constitution. Don't confuse Tea Partiers with constitutional purists who happen to read the document in a conservative way, right? True, about half of the changes that these Tea Partiers want to make result from a particular or peculiar interpretation of the Constitution. The other half, though, would actually require Congress and the states to change it altogether. So let's take a look at what they want to change and how. Here's how the Tea Party candidates and organizers would amend the Constitution, not just reinterpret it, but actually Actually change it. Here we start with the First Amendment. Well, I'll get rid of those women. Oh, go ahead. Things, Things get heated during campaign season, whether by head stomp, 
Citizens' arrest of a journalist, swastikas or punches to the face. Partisans try to silence their rivals. But this campaign season, particularly the entire month of August, in fact, the right flank of the Republican Party and their Tea Party faithful took direct aim at the so-called Ground Zero Mosque. Remember in Lower Manhattan? Oh, yes. All right. Almost all Republicans opposed its construction. Most of them urged the developers to just, you know, abandon the project you know, on their own. But others, like Newt the Toot Gingrich... And far-right activist Pamela Geller, who is now writing this anti-Muslim blog that people are just running to. She's just awful. I mean, Michelle Bachman and Pamela Geller wanted the government to directly intercede to prevent the construction of a house of worship. First, though, you'd have to change that part of the Constitution that reads Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Might seem a little out there, but then the Department of Justice recently had to file an amicus brief declaring that Islam is recognized as a religion following efforts by some conservatives to claim that it isn't in order to get around this amendment. Oh, wow. They wanted Islam declared not a religion. Not a religion. Officially in America, not a religion. I mean, they're not sitting there trying to get, like, for example, Scientology declared not a religion, which it isn't. They want, they're really interested in getting Islam declared not a religion. Ah, oh, man, I tell you, they're just crazy. Okay, to the first, right? That's okay. Let's move on to the 14th. All right. All right, lucky 14th. Pressure on elected Republicans from Tea Partiers to curb illegal immigration is so strong that Republican members of Congress, including one supposed, supposed moderate, briefly considered amending the Constitution to change or eliminate what's known as birthright citizenship. It started oh, yeah. with Senator Lindsey Graham, the guy that was supposed to be, you know, he's going to cross over and he's, he's our Republican, we can work with him, who considered a constitutional amendment and Senator John Keel, who's a complete wing nut, who suggested the amendment process start with congressional hearings. In all, the birthright citizenship craze spread through a broad swath of the, swath of the right and the GOP. Yeah, they want to, that's nice, get rid of birthright yeah, that was really pretty. That, that was pretty awful when that one popped out into the news. I, I you know, I, I can see some other things that you might change. I mean, the First Amendment is a real problem. It is. Oh yeah, yeah. The First Amendment is free every, speech. What and, and, and no, religion? No. And, and I mean, that's a real problem and for re- these people. Redress of grievances. Oh yeah. And have we got some grievances yes. we'd like to have undressed here? Right. Anyway, go on. Let's move up to the Sixteenth Amendment. All right. Sixteenth. This uh-huh. strikes the core of the Tea Party's libertarian heart. <laughs> The 16th Amendment provides Congress the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. All those Republicans, including Kentucky State Senate candidate Rand, the man Paul, the Aqua Buddha, who envision a world where the income tax is replaced by a national sales tax. So, of course, the poor will pay for everything would really like to see the 16th Amendment repealed. Georgetown law professor Randy Barnett described this as a simple solution. A right. simple solution. You will get rid of the, the government's uh, power to tax. Yeah, well, then yes. if it yeah. can't tax, it can't be, right? That's, that's a good way to get rid of it. All right, let's move up one. All right, that's great. No, no income well, tax. How do, excuse me, national defense? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, how do we do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe we can just sales walk. tax your way into it. Well, how about you know, world va- power? Well, let's let, Come let's go on. Well, let's tax the warlords. We're over there doing their job. All right. Okay. Uh, seven, yeah. 17th Seventeenth. Seventeenth. All right. Well, by the way, you know, it was the Sixteenth Amendment came in under Woodrow Wilson and Glenn Beck and the John Birch Society and all those people blame him in that time for the socialism that we're suffering under Obama today. Who we? 
Oh, I should go back to Beck University and learn the truth. <laughs> 70th Amendment. This is the one that screwed a lot of people up. Republican congressional hopefuls got themselves in trouble during primary season when several of them were revealed to have supported the idea of repealing the 17th Amendment. That's the one that provides for direct election of senators mm. by the people, mm-hmm. like you and me. The thinking among states' rights-oriented Tea Partiers is that states had more power over Washington when senators were picked by state legislatures and not by popular vote, i.e. the senators would toady to the state's needs mm-hmm. before the people's needs. This is rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know yeah. how corrupt the election of senators out of the state legislatures. Oh, boy. But this phenomena seems to reappear every time the right is out of power, and the Senate would become more conservative, for sure, If direct election was scrapped, there's no indication that a Congress controlled by Republicans would pursue an amendment like this. But if they do, conservative representative Louis Gohmert already has one drafted. He's got it written up. Louis Gohmert. Louis. A a real Gohmer. All right. Then then there's uh, the 21st Amendment. This is, they really want to go after this. This this one's a bit out of left-right field. Mm-hmm. And there's little indication that a significant subset of the Tea Party really cares about and supports this. But check out what Nevada Senate Republican hopeful Sharon Engel told Liberty Watch. I feel the same about legalizing alcohol, she said. The effect on society is so great that I'm just not a real proponent of legalizing any drug or encouraging any drug use. This means that she wants to repeal the repeal of prohibition. Okay. Uh, now that's okay. that's something that's really going to appeal to people who vote in Nevada uh, because they don't have a booze and gambling centric economy. No, no, they would want people to stop drinking. It's dry there anyway. It's dry. It know? is. I mean, Nevada is it's dry, dry, dry it's place. Real, a very dry place. Real, real, I mean, you you know, getting rid of making alcohol illegal. Well, that would be just great. Uh, pot's <laughs> illegal. Cocaine's illegal. Everything's illegal, right? Everybody's got to live a Sharon Angle life. Oh. That's really scary. Really scary. What about the? Uh, what about? What about the? You know, interstate commerce. I mean, what about interstate commerce? What about the two? I what mean, about the corn smut? Yeah, yeah. I am lying awake with a midterm headache. My psyche is racked with anxiety. I am badly confused and feel terribly used by the fat cats who run our society. I'm anxious and frightened. My terror is heightened by the news that comes out of Fox Cable. All pompous and smiley, that bastard O'Reilly spouts off from his Tower of Babel. I'm brimming with dread from each prim talking head. I can't even look at Sean Hannity. He's all certain and sure as he spreads his manure. I well could be losing my sanity. So I fall off to sleep in the wake of that creep and his legion of logical errors and the dreams that i dream of the dems getting creamed are beset with electoral terrors i see myself flying in space and i'm eyeing my countrymen making decisions from the west to the east from the most to the least it's a picture of rents and divisions there is want there is waste and a lack of good taste all is calumny cant and profanities the pictures and scenes on the zines and the screens are an incessant stew of inanities in Alaska, Murkowski may soon lose her house key to the ladies' room back at the Senate. The Tea Party anger will probably hang her like it did back in Utah to Bennett. Jerry Brown's using Whitman's own words as his hitman. The moonbeam outthought and outfoxed her. In the Senate arena is Carly Fiorina and a heavyweight champion boxer. McCain and Jan Brewer, no sane man would screw her, are getting that dang fence erected. They talk law and order, but down at the border, the visitors pass undetected. Harry reads in a tangle with Miss Sharon Angle, the queen of press conference evasion, who states without panic to a school of Hispanics that somehow they all seem so Asian. The millionaire Johnson, who's up in Wisconsin giving fine 
strangle the regular whipping. Says he thinks global warming is sunspots performing. Hey, dude, I've just got to be tripping. Paladino the porker wants to govern New Yorkers campaigning from upstate to Zabars. When he's not cursing homos or losing to Cuomo, he runs Buffalo's two hottest gay bars. There's Christine the witch, the tea party bitch, the first to take moral offendment, who was stunned in a rate when she learned church and state were cut loose in the premier amendment. And then last of all, there's the son of Ron Paul trying out as a good Christian liver, since the story that broke of the girl he got stoked and made bow down to God in the river. I wake up at last, the nightmare has passed, and there's light streaming in through the curtain. In the clear glow of dawn, I feel hope coming on, and of one thing I know I am certain. We've come out of a bubble in serious trouble, the goo in the gulf's killing fishes. The money is hoarded, all Main Street is boarded, the vibe in the hood's getting vicious. If we don't fight for health, teach our kids, spread the wealth, we're all going to drown in this drama. Just remember, my friends, as the darkness descends, we've got 2012 and Obama. David, I love what's happening in the Eurozone. I'm I'm beginning to understand how much more sophisticated, how much more laid back they are than we are in so many areas. And people say this is a this is not only America is not only a country of religion, the most religious country in the so-called advanced democracies, but the most moralistic. Oh, this is self-righteous and self-righteous, be, yes, and finger-pointing. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is from the Daily Telegraph in England, but it's about Spain, right? Women touting for customers on a rural highway outside El Alamos near Lleida in Catalonia. It's hard for me to pronounce. These are Cat- Catalan. Ca- Ca- yeah, it's Have been told language. to don the yellow fluorescent bibs or pay fines of $60 under road traffic laws. Police claim the sex workers on LL11 Road are not being specifically targeted because of what they do, but because they posed a danger to drivers. Uh-huh. There's this wonderful picture of three prostitutes. Three <laughs> Standing prostitutes. by the road. No, they're, they're crossing the road. They're all wearing miniskirts, and they're wearing these fluorescent vests. They look, they're just like municipal <laughs> workers, right? The prostitutes are in breach of a 2004 law which states pedestrians on major highways and hard shoulders must wear the high visibility garments. So it's not about the fact that they're hookers. It's the fact that they're lookers, you know, and that they're making people look and cause accidents and you got to be seen. A spokesman for the regional police force, the Mossos de Squadra, said in the past couple of months, the prostitutes have been fined for two reasons, for not wearing the reflective jacket and for creating danger on the public highway. The move follows recent legislation introduced by El Alamos Town Hall to ban prostitutes from offering sex for sale in public urban areas. Another, another mayor, Mayor Maria Bea, has been accused of mounting a campaign to drive the sex workers out of the area. Well, if he's driving them out of the highway, then they got to wear fluorescent jackets. Then they got, that's the uh, obvious result. An estimated 300,000 women work as prostitutes in Spain, where prostitution is not illegal, but profiting from the sale of sex by another is. Mm. So pimping. No Johnny's, Johnny. no, plenty of Johnny's, no, uh, what are no, they called? No, yeah, a lot of Johns, but no pimps. Yeah, you, no, is there another yeah, name I for pimps? I think there's another word. Well, there's got oh, to be lots of There must be lots of them. Excuse yeah. me. Come women on, get, wearing get very the hip-hop little, dictionary out. <laughs> women wearing very little clothing and standing yeah. on roadsides outside towns and cities are a common sight across Spain. They can't do this in in this little town in, in Italy that no. we talked about. Though. A recent survey found one in four Spanish men admitted to having paid for sex. Uh, one in one four. four admitted 
Mm-hmm. So it's probably closer Half to 50%. Yeah. There you go. Now it'll be easier to find them because they'll be wearing fluorescent jackets. Hello. Hey. Hey, hey senorita. Hey, look. Hey, I, wait a minute. I'm coming. You got a yellow. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a traffic worker. Oh, this is good news. The Air Force lost partial communications with 50 nuclear missiles for almost an hour last weekend, an Air Force spokesman announced last week. The problem, characterized as a single hardware issue, affected more than 10% of the country's ICBM arsenal, according to Air Force spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Wesley Miller IV. Because of redundant systems, at no time was the Air Force unable to monitor, communicate with, or if need be, launch the intercontinental ballistic missiles on the president's command, several military officials said. Well, that makes me feel safer. Quote, anytime the president wanted to fire those missiles, he could have, a senior defense official said, probably with a shy-eating grin on his face. At no time was the public in jeopardy, according to another military official. It's the missiles that put us in jeopardy, not the fact that they have enough fail-safe systems to overcome a glitch in the software. It's the missiles that scare me. The Minuteman III ICBMs are multiple warhead missiles that are controlled from Warren Air Force Base in Wyoming, but are in missile silos spread out over a wide area around the base. So there's there's something going on in Wyoming. You know, they got about six people living there, and they have two senators, both of which are Fakakta. After the problem was detected, each silo was inspected by base personnel to make certain all 50 missiles were safe and secure. I think they're all here, Colonel. I think we're safe for another day. The exact nature of the problem is still under investigation. The specific cause for the disruption is currently being analyzed on site by engineers from the ICBM Systems Program Office, according to an Air Force statement. A senior defense official said it was an underground cable that got disrupted. Probably rats. Probably rats trained in Moscow or Hanoi or maybe Algeria. The United States currently has 450 Minutemen 3 ICBMs. Yeah, because, you know, there's just so many other people waiting to nuke us. We got to be on guard. While the squadron of 50 that had problems uh, represents 11% of America's ICBM arsenal, the United States also has bomber-based and sea-based nuclear weapons. So sleep tight, people. Secretary of Defense Gates takes nuclear weapons security very seriously. In 2008, Gates took the unprecedented step of firing both the Air Force Secretary and the Air Force Chief of Staff because of two highly publicized mistakes involving Air Force nuclear weapons. First, there was the embarrassing revelation in August 2007 that a B-52 bomber took off from North Dakota with six nuclear-tipped cruise missiles that no one knew were live weapons until after the plane landed in Louisiana. They're lucky we still have Louisiana. Then again, maybe we're not lucky. Then came word that the Air Force mistakenly shipped fuses that are used in nuclear weapons to Taiwan in 2006 in crates believed to contain helicopter batteries. Surprise! I hooked what I thought was a battery into the helicopter, flipped on the switch, and we nuked the place!
take too long here. I've got a lot of things to do. These days are passing by me. I'm staring blindly at the view. I woke up one day older, just like ten thousand days before. And all at once, I'm hearing a quiet knocking on my door. Lost chances, sideways glances. I will let them be without me. Celebration. I will let them pass me by, and nothing ventured, nothing gained. But all I see is loss and pain. So screw it. Once I was star out shining. Now I'm buzzing like a neon sign that's missing half its letters, and it's getting dimmer all the time. Oh, bells ringing, choir singing. I will let them be without me. Moonshine and cherry wine, yeah. Talking Points Memo. This is a look at Obama, the way he thinks, the way he talks. The man is brilliant. He's he's educated. He's refined. He's thoughtful. So, of course, everybody's pointing the finger at him. President Obama, who has said time and time again that he is in favor of civil unions over same-sex marriage, yesterday suggested that his view may evolve. 
Obama, who has drawn the ire of the LGBT community, most recently by fighting to enforce Don't Ask, Don't Tell, even while trying to repeal it, was grilled by Joe Sudby of America Blog during a meeting with progressive bloggers. I just really want to know, what is your position on same-sex marriage, Sudby asked, according to a transcript. Joe said, Obama, I do not intend to make big news sitting here with the five of you, as wonderful as you guys are. He said, I am a strong supporter of civil unions. As you say, I have been to this point unwilling to sign on to same-sex marriage primarily because of my understandings of the traditional definitions of marriage, he said. But I also think you're right that attitudes evolve, including mine. And I think that it is an issue that I wrestle with and think about because I have a whole host of friends who are in gay partnerships. I have staff members who are in committed, monogamous relationships, who are raising children, who are wonderful parents. And I care about them deeply. And so while I'm not prepared to reverse myself here, sitting in the Roosevelt Room at 3.30 in the afternoon, I think it's fair to say that it's something that I think a lot about that's probably the best you'll do out of me today. What's important to me here is to hear this, this, this uh, eloquent man. This man who thinks and cares and talks about compassion and about the quality of, uh, of his staff members who are in what do you call committed, monogamous relationships, who are wonderful parents. I believe that with the midterm massacre upon us, that at some point as the darkness descends, people will begin to return to this man because he truly is a dispensational leader, and we'll need the quality of his spirit and the quality of his soul to bring us through that night. It won't be easy. But the fact is, is that he is Lincoln-esque, and he carries Lincoln's pain. Well, it is the beginning of some new day in America. I mean, this midterm election will be remembered just like 94 was remembered. All of the great shifts were remembered. But, you know, if we take ourselves back to Tang China a long time ago and, and change the perspective, all of this shifting and hugger-mugger really just kind of fades away. You know, things have been the same for so long. I know, I know. <laughs> they didn't need to, big, uh, to dig that big tunnel in Switzerland to smash atoms together to find out how long it's been. You know, No. I mean, no. they didn't need that. So who we got today? We have Lee Ho, who lived from 791 to 817. Yeah, Not so long is all that. But uh, we finally got into November in uh, his series of poems well, good. about the moon. Mm -hmm. So this is the ninth of the moon poems. The ninth of the moon poems. Okay, here we go. Except for a few lost fireflies, the summer palace is deserted. The sky is water. Yellow bamboos, cold pools, dead lotus. The moon shines on the gold rings of the gates. Chilly garden, empty galleries, blank white sky. Frost walking in the wind. Autumn leaves, gorgeous as brocades, in heaps along the roads. No watchman at the palace to announce the brilliant dawn. Ravens croak by the brass well as the cola leaves spin down. 
Oh, how beautiful. And you know, before we leave, uh, this is Roseanne's birthday, is it not, on the 3rd? The, th- the 3rd, Roseanne Arnold. Yeah, Indeed and, it is. and I'm going to visit John Goodman tomorrow. I'll be with him in L.A., and, uh, you know, Roseanne and John, are, are they, have a, they have a real history. I mean, he made that show so real, so, so wonderful. So, um, you know, hooray for Roseanne and, uh, and all of that. What a controversial lady. And what a controversial show, and have yourself a real nice time, and we'll be with you tomorrow in the second day of America at Play. <laughs>